0: Hi everybody, welcome to episode 96 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the works of writer-director-producer J.J. Abrams and his extended Bad Robot universe. I'm your co-host Matt Crandall, here with Marcelo Inostroza as we continue our rewatch of Fringe Season 2. Today we'll be talking about Episodes 13 and 14. First episode, The Bishop Revival, was written by Robert Chiapeta and Glenn Whitman, directed by Adam Davidson. It aired in January of 2010. Marcelo... Nazis. I hate these guys.
1: I love Nazis in pop culture. Just to clarify that, this is one of my favorite episodes of season two. I love the way that this episode opens on a wedding. And you see this old woman coming into the wedding venue. She sits down, you know, everybody's happy. The groom is losing his shit. He, We, we think he's having a panic attack. And then we go back into the main foyer and this old woman starts to freak out when she sees one of the waiters. She's like, I've seen that guy before. I've seen that guy before. And then all of a a sudden, this woman starts to choke and all the life out of her face just gets sucked out and everybody around her starts to die. So the opening of this episode, it's fucking fantastic. I loved it so, so much. And the other thing that I love about this episode is it harkens back to a specific member of the Bishop family. And I love how that ties into the episode as we go along, as we figure out what is actually happening here.
0: Yeah, it's pretty fantastic that we're getting some insight into not only Walter's past, but where Walter has come from through this, because we find out that Walter's father actually was up to some mad scientist type stuff. And he happened to actually be working at a time where Nazis are around and they're also working on certain things. So I like that. So this isn't tied back directly to Walter Bishop, but we can go from Bishop to Bishop. And I really like that. And that opening scene is dynamic and fantastic where at that wedding, that woman has that moment of recognition. And we know that she's a Holocaust survivor because I'm pretty sure they show us like the numbers on her. And so when she starts to freak out, we know it's something unsettling, but then only the one side of the, the wedding party's family, everyone dies. And everybody else there is fine. So it's fascinating and terrifying as we realize that this is some sort of formulated attack. And even uh, there is a funny moment where they realize that, like, this guy who did it can target certain traits. And Walter says, any group. And he goes, you know, they can be tall, short, fat, skinny, black, brown, white. Appears like, Walter, we get it. We get it. And, like, he's just listing off this laundry list of traits. So it's terrifying that somebody could target a group of people who shared something in common, even something as simple as eye color, is up for grabs as we find out as this goes on. And that Being a weapon that somebody would definitely use for nefarious purposes is frightening and and a little bit scary. But I like that as they're investigating into this, you know, we're going back and we're finding out more about where Walter came from. But also he has to unlock the mystery of this. In doing so, he says, my dad worked on something like this. And I'm worried because I had all of his books that had all of his research. It's like one of my prized possessions, and he goes to look for them, and this is a heartbreaking moment where Peter steps up and says, "While you were gone, I got rid of those books. I sold." Them. And he's like, "Why would you do that? Like did you need the money?" Whatever. And he's like, "No, it's because I knew they were your prized possession, and Peter did it as a fuck you to Walter, which brings up a lot of stuff between Peter and Walter that we have kind of put on the back burner. We've been so focused on this Will Peter find out that he's from an alternate universe that we have forgotten that when this show started, they hadn't spoken for a long time. And this really reminds us that there was a rift there. And you start to think, okay, if we're going to have a big secret come out in this back half, we need to remind ourselves that these guys haven't always been happy father and sons solving weird crimes. So, Marcelo, what are you thinking as Walter comes to this realization that his father had notes in these books and then the heartbreaking news? That Peter sold them out of spite.
1: I really like that because growing up as a kid, I always had issues with my grandparents because as most of you know, on the podcast, my grandparents raised me and often to get back at them, I would do shit to intentionally hurt them. So when we found out in this episode that Peter out of spite sold a pair of books that were given to Walter by his father, you know, you know, just because he was angry at him, that To me, really, really hurt, first of all, because that's a shitty thing to do to somebody, regardless of how they make you feel. But on the other hand, that really resonated with me because I did similar things to my own parents, quote unquote, when I was younger. You know, if they didn't let me watch a late movie or if they didn't let me do something I would always concoct a plan to get back at them. So I really related with that. Also, I really liked when Walter figures out that he needs his father's books to figure out how this German scientist is doing this. We actually go back to the bookshop that we were introduced to, I think in season one, and we find and we find out that the owner of this bookshop has sold off these books. We actually track down an artist who has made paintings out of the the pages in this book and this guy it's very very disconcerting and very very weird this guy has made pictures of hitler out of the pages of walter's dad's work which is tremendously disconcerting and creepy as hell And the way that this guy wears Nazi apparel and he has Nazi apparel all over his apartment. And the funny thing is, he says, I hate the Nazis. I'm not, you know, I'm doing this just for art. But I'm uh, but I'm thinking to myself, if you're doing this just for art, why do you have Nazi apparel all over your house? So that was really interesting, but disturbing to me at the same time.
0: Yeah, it was disturbing. And I love that they go back to the bookstore and we get to see Markham again and him and Dunham and Peter have like some good banter where he's like, what are you doing hanging out with this loser? And Dunham's like, it's my job. Get a new career lady. This guy, this guy sucks. Just having Markham knock Peter down a couple pegs was pretty funny. And when they find out that the books have been sold and who bought them, and we think that it's going to be Hoffman, the main bad guy, and they show up and it is just this artist who claims that he is not a Nazi, but has so much prop propaganda that it's really off-putting and he fancies himself some sort of knockoff Banksy by making these Nazi pastiche art. But in doing his art, they see the pages of the books and they say, okay, well, we need we need to get all this art back to our lab to take it apart and see if there's anything here. So I just like that moment where they're like, well, shit, we're going to have to transport all this stupid and horrible art because we need this to solve the mystery. And the artist is like, well, how much are you guys going to pay for it? They're like, fuck you. Like, we're just taking this shit. So I I thought that was good. And the scene where we see the second time the weapon is executed was a highlight. It's terrifying because we see the guy with the T. He's talking to a little girl. Okay. This guy is 100% bad news. If he's willing to let this little six-year-old die or put her in harm's way, even if she doesn't die, you know, her her mother is going to die. I just thought shows really quickly, if you didn't get it by the fact that this guy is some sort of Nazi fringe scientist, if that didn't make you hate him immediately, then he does other unthinkable things in the episode to make him one of the quickest, like zero to a hundred villains fringe has ever had. And I really liked that he felt, threatening and when they end up deciphering the books and all that stuff and they realize who the guy is who they think is the killer and they go to his place and they find the leftover remnants of him making his new batch of toxin, they realize that his big plan here is that it is targeted. The toxin has been programmed to kill Walter Bishop. What are you thinking when they realize like, oh, we got here too late to catch him, but we know that his weapon is now targeted at Walter.
1: You mentioned that scene in the diner where the writers do a really good job of, of illustrating to us that this guy has no regard for human life that this guy for his experiment would go go to the lengths of killing a little girl and it's after our french team shows up on the scene where that guy sees Walter from the other side of the tape. So I believe that's where he got uh, the idea to actually poison Walter once they discover where his quote-unquote lair is. The main reason why I like this episode so much is because this guy has a particular vendetta against the Bishop family. Throughout the entire episode, you don't understand how this guy has the formula but towards the end of the episode there's one thing that makes you go holy shit how is this possible the fact that they didn't explain it how he knew the formula if he couldn't get his hands on the books i thought was ultimately fascinated what i was feeling when this guy poisoned walter i was like you motherfucker i'm like oh i was like walter you better get out of there because the first time i saw this episode way back in the day i was panicking Today when I saw this episode I was panicking because it's such a quick scene and the only thing you see in his lavatory is Walter's sweatshirt and then you see like a bubbling beaker like in Breaking Bad or something and then all of a sudden Walter starts hyperventilating and you're like holy shit holy shit and then you know they, they, they take him out of the basement and he gives they give him some oxygen. And he survived. But the cool thing that happens uh, a little bit later on, Walter is sort of rummishing through the basement. And he figures out a way to use the formula against this guy. So in the third act of the episode, Walter goes to like this commune of the the United Nations or something. And he uses the formula against this guy. So his formula only ends up killing him in the third act when when he had planned to kill you know a whole group of people
0: it's the the world tolerance initiative so it's basically like a sign like you know the opposite of nazis is what this this convention is it's people who are promoting tolerance which of course the nazis would never stand for his plan is that if they light all these heaters at this convention center then all of these people at at this convention will die. And so they have to stop it. And I love that Walter does figure out the way to use this specific weapon against Hoffman and programs it so that he is the one who dies and he's the only one. And it brings up those questions later where, you know, the FBI is like, well, you did kill that guy (laughs) kind of in cold blood. And Walter's like, yeah, but we had to. Like everybody knows that we had to kill this motherfucker, right? And so I thought that was really interesting. And as you mentioned, one of the key moments that ends the episode is where they bring up this question saying, well, how did Hoffman know how to make this weapon if he actually didn't have, you know, Grandpa Bishop's notebook because all the pages were just used in this art. So he never had the formulas that were written in the margins. Walter is kind of like, well, I don't I don't know if we'll ever know. And then we get seen a picture of Walter's dad and Hoffman together as a group of scientists in a photo like they were part of the same team for a while. Which makes us wonder, what the hell? <laughs> what what the hell that's about? How much bad stuff did Walter's dad do? Was this at a time before Hoffman went full evil? Or were the bishops, way back then, tangled up in some... Fringe science on the wrong side. So it really added a lot of shades of gray to the Bishop legacy in terms of wondering where Walter and Peter have come from. But I really appreciated that because it again, this whole episode is a lot about father and son bonds, not like in a super deep way, a surface level, but it works to remind us that you might not share the same ideology as your parents. There might be certain things that you come by naturally that are similar to your parents. Like if Walter's dad was a mad scientist, then what are the chances that his son would end up also being a mad scientist. Some things are just inherited and are family traits that, that go down, and other things are learned behavior. But also those strains on that father-son bond that come, and things that we do to spite one another, and sometimes those bonds are strong enough to to hold up when those kind of events happen, and you can come back together. And sometimes they're not. Interesting light subtext to this episode as we start to get closer and closer to what we know is a father-son bombshell that has to drop and they start to drop it from midair in episode 14 of this season Jacksonville which is written by heavy hitters Zach Stenson and Ashley Edward Miller directed by Charles Beeson and this one is where the two universes are starting to collide literally in the form of one dude who happens to unfortunately collide with his alternate self and become sort of hideously deformed Spider-Man Marcelo, what are you thinking as this episode kicks off with this body horror moment as
1: this guy in a building collides with his alternate self? I really like the opening sequence to this episode because it's a guy in a building he's an architect right and as the scene goes on there's a couple things that are off about it there's this constant light that keeps coming into the frame like jj abram's flares right and the other thing that's a little odd about it is that this guy is walking over to his work area and he's carrying this cup and and one of his one of his co-workers comes over and starts talking to him. And she goes, is that real coffee? And he's like, yeah, I have sources. I have a family member who brings me in a cup now and then. And then I'm like, okay, what's going on here? There's light popping in from everywhere. And they're they're talking about, coffee and like uh the last time the last time i checked there wasn't a coffee shortage in the world of fringe so immediately i'm like wait a minute are we somewhere where we're not supposed to be seeing those two pillars being presented to me and then understanding that for some reason there's massive earthquakes happening and then when we see what happens to this guy after a massive earthquake hits the building that he's working in and he basically merges with his two selves from our universe in this universe i was like Holy shit, this is so disturbing and so interesting, but this is awesome. But I loved those two sort of pillars that the writers put in to the start of this episode to make the audience understand that this is not our universe. And I'm interested to know if you picked up on those.
0: Yeah. And I think that the visual cues is a huge giveaway and the quickest shorthand to let us know that we're not on our side. And I love that you mentioned that. Yeah. They use the way the light reflects and a little bit of that typical bad robot lens flare to establish that. And then the conversation is so odd that we're like, huh? But when the guy does merge during that earthquake and then team fringe, our team fringe shows up on the site and it's Walter who, as they're talking to this guy and he's not dead, he's still alive but they realize like this guy's gonna be a goner and he walter is the one who clues in and i like that he starts talking to him and he's like you know who are you what's going on and he says tell me about september 11th what's interesting about this is that we as an audience know that on the other side the world trade center is still standing because olivia has been in it that is where she met with william bell so we know that On September 11th, 2001, that was not one of the targets. And so this guy says, yeah, they hit the Pentagon and the White House. That's when Walter goes, okay, light bulb moment. He says, this guy that we're talking to, this this head of this guy, is from the other side. And somehow his two bodies ended up occupying the same space on ours because of these rifts. What they then realize is that as this is happening... It's basically matter takes up the same space as matter and whatever comes over from there has to go from us to them. Some, they explain it much better, but basically it's like, if we put a sugar cube comes from them over to us then a sugar cube amount of matter is going to go from us over to them. They realize that this is going to happen in a much larger scale than just this guy who becomes some deformed thing that, again, I'm going to call out, looks like something from John Carpenter's The Thing. Then they realize it's ramping up so much that there is going to be a shift of an entire building. And we have to find a way to identify where this building is and like what the radius of this event is going to be so that we don't get a bunch of Spider-Men happening because our people all disappear and merge with their other selves. I like that this idea, again, reminding us that if two snow globes are converging, there's going to be some destruction and there's going to be only one thing that can survive, reminding us in this that they realize we need to further unlock Olivia's abilities that were bestowed upon her when she was a child in the William Bell, Walter Bishop, Cortexafan trials, if we can somehow activate Olivia's gift where she can see the shimmer of things from the other universe, maybe we can identify this building in time, save a bunch of lives and hopefully stop this universe collision from escalating right now. What are you thinking as we go back to the site of Olivia's childhood
1: traumas with the man who inflicted all this childhood trauma on her? First of all, I really like the ticking clock aspect to this episode because you like that a lot in the Bad Robot universe that, that a lot of good episodes involving Bad Robot have a ticking clock. I love the ticking clock aspect of this episode, but my favorite part of the episode is when they figure out that the only one that can identify the building that is going to be taken to sort of balance out what the other universe gave us is olivia and the fact that uh, walter has to take olivia back to the school where he did cortex ventrales on her and other children is wonderful but the thing that i love about it the most is the minute that our team gets there and olivia steps into one of the classrooms walter says to olivia there are 15 things in here from the other side that don't belong. And Olivia walks to the room and she's like, nothing is glowing, I can't identify anything. And then Walter goes, he just has this look and he's like, damn it, and he walks off. But as he walks off, he was like, damn it, I was hoping to avoid this. And then we see Olive on a, on a swing set outside and Peter, you know, joins her on the swing seat, joins her on the swing set. And Olive says, listen, I have a great memory. I can remember everything, right? She has like an eidetic memory. She's awesome that way. But for some specific reason, she can't remember anything from her time at this school in Jacksonville. So I really liked it that our hero, our heroine, the agent who has saved so many people and basically the super agent can't remember the thing that she needs to stop a massive, you know, departure from our universe. And the only way that she remembers is Walter has to hook her up to all these wires and things and he has to feed her the Cortexophan drug. And that basically puts her into a a state where she has a conversation with her younger self. And through that, she figures out or Walter figures out that in order for Olivia to see the glimmers or to see the building that is going to be taken, she has to be afraid. And... Our Olivia Dunham has figured out a way to block her trauma so much that she doesn't know how to be afraid anymore. The main thing I liked about this episode that the things that have made Olivia Dunham the agent that she is have been taken away from her in this episode we see olivia uh struggling and trying to put things together without her primary skills so to speak
0: yeah it's really some interesting stuff going on and i love that you mentioned that scene where walter takes her into that classroom and says 15 items in here are from the other side start pointing them out like i want you to this is a test we gotta see if this is working and that really reminded me of the scene where richard alpert lays 10 items in front of a young john Locke and says which one of these belong to you this is very much a scene like that scene in lost you know you're doing a test that you don't even really know the parameters of and you're thrown into this and the person who's giving you the test isn't giving you all the information you need to be able to pass it so i thought that was really interesting and i saw the shadows there and then as we go and we realize you know olivia is trying to deal with this childhood trauma figuring out how to deal with that and how she is blocking it out. And as her and Peter start to get closer in this episode, that romantic tension starts to build. And there is a moment where they are getting very close and it's near where like, the the tension of the ticking clock is really ramping up. And they almost kiss, but in that moment, Olivia realizes that the thing that will help trigger this is when she is frightened, she can see the shimmer. It's only when she's scared and lets all this other stuff fall away that she can see it. It's heartbreaking to us who have been shipping them that they get so close and their relationship feels like it's going to the next step but then there's the classic tv trope like oh sorry something else just came up at the last second it is interesting that it is her being frightened because as she was a child when all these things were going on she was terrified so that's kind of like this built-in response that because she was terrified as a child when she could see this stuff that is the only way to activate it now as an adult and i thought that was really interesting And finally, this episode brings massive dynamic back into the fold, because there is a point in this episode, because this is going to be such a universe-altering event, if they can't locate this specific building we get broils and sharp and brandon at massive dynamic all involved in trying to find this building and of course we do find it just in time they evacuate it it leaves our universe and there's this awesome gaping hole where it once was all of that is really exciting and fun for the overall episode but i think the things that this episode unlocks personally for Dunham are very, very big. And of course the very end of this episode is one of the moments we have been waiting for forever. So there is a great moment. And I just have to say that those bastards, this episode aired February 4th. The next episode did not air until April 1st. So people after this, this ended and you had to wait two months. So it wasn't play next right away. It was two months of waiting But this episode ends with Walter super excited because Peter and Olivia are going to go out on a date and Peter is getting ready for the date and he's loving it. And Walter's eating pudding and he's so excited that finally these two are going to go out. And as Olivia comes into the, the house. And Peter says, I just got to go upstairs and do something. She looks at Peter and her ability has been unlocked at this point. And she sees that Peter is shimmering and Peter goes up the stairs and the look that she gives Walter says everything. Walter is like, oh my God, please do not say a word. And finally, someone other than Walter now knows that this Peter is from the alternate universe. Marcella, were you screaming as much as I was screaming? As finally, this information, Peter doesn't know yet, but somebody else on the team knows. So this is coming out ASAP.
1: Oh, hell yeah. I was, I was really, really pleased. First of all, because you guys know on the podcast that I ship Olivia and Peter. So I was really pleased to see them get closer in this episode. But you just mentioned the final scene where Olivia comes to Peter and Walter's apartment to go out to drinks with Peter and... And when she sees the shimmer and just the look that she gives Walter, I was like, oh, motherfucker, you're in trouble now. There's no way that Olivia is going to keep this down. Maybe, maybe you would have been able to keep Astrid down, but there's no way in hell that you're going to keep Agent Olivia Dunham down. So I really, really liked that final reveal. Also, I really appreciate that we're watching this series now on streaming because I can't imagine, I mean, I can't remember what it felt like to wait two months to get this sort of cliffhanger unraveled. So I'm really, really happy that we're watching this on streaming now. I really like that after Olivia comes out of her daze, after she is put under uh, the cortexafin. I really like that Olivia says to Walter, what the hell is wrong with you? You experimented on children. So I really like that Olivia basically knocks Walter down a couple pegs in this episode, and holds him accountable for all the crazy shit that he has done, both in the past and that he might do. So I really like the fact that Olivia basically, at one point in this episode, has had enough, and she just lets him have it. Because, look, as as nice and as kind as Walter is, Walter is a very, very dangerous individual, and he seems to me to be the type of person that does things without fully thinking them through. Yeah, I just love that aspect of this episode. Yeah,
0: that was one of the best parts, and that puts the ending in a whole new light, too, because earlier in the episode, like you said, she that heart-to-heart anger and rage where she says, you abused us, and he says, no, we were trying to help you. She says, but I was just a defenseless child And all of these kids didn't ask for this. And you still went ahead with this anyway. Then when Walter is begging Olivia at the end, like, please do not tell him, please, please, we don't have the sympathy for him. And either does Olivia, because we've seen in this episode, she called him out on his abusive bullshit when she was a kid. So that really sets the stage for a dynamic back half of the season. After this break, everything is really ramping up. Things are coming out in the open. And this battle between universes has has, has to come to a head at some point very soon. So I think that will do it for this episode of radio 815 guys. If you like the show at all, please like subscribe, follow comment, tell your friends, let them know. You can find us on Twitter at JJ universe, 815, or you can tweet using the hashtag radio 815. If you don't listen to us on podcast formats, we are also on YouTube. We have a channel with all our back episodes on there where you can listen to them. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I am at Matt Crandall. Marcelo, how can the people reach out to you?
1: I'm also on Twitter. If you want to talk to me about anything, I'm at CreekFanatic88.
0: Thanks very much for listening. We appreciate everybody who checks out each episode. Thanks very much. Until next week, Radio 815 over and out.
1: Radio 815 is Balloonhead Productions presentation in association with Killer New Productions.